0: Happy Friday, everybody. It is Friday, November 9th, 2018, and if you're listening to this, as always, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. Let's see who has some birthdays today. All right, happy birthday to Carl Sagan, Bob Gibson, the original Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, and Tom Fogarty. In honor of Tom Fogarty's birthday, today's song of the day is going to be Born on the Bayou. Alright, before we get into what's happening this week, let's go ahead and do some NFL real quick. Alright, last week was a brutal week for me. I went 6-7. I was under five hundred on the week. I am 75-58-2 on the year. Not exactly something you're writing home to mom about, if you know what I mean. Brutal so far. Uh, last week we saw the Niners rookie quarterback Mullins go off on his debut in Thursday Night Football. Kid comes in for the first time ever in an NFL game. Under the lights... Thursday night football, here, go win us a game. What does he do? He routes Chucky's Raiders 34-3, to goes 262 yards in the air and three putties. A, hats off to you, Mullins. B, wow, how bad are the Raiders right now? I mean, I know Chucky's a genius, and they've stockpiled picks, and they are building for the future, but right now, they are hot garbage. Hot garbage. I mean, the sisters of the poor could whoop Chucky's Raiders right now. It is brutal out in Oakland. Uh, The Vikings set a franchise record for sacks in a single game by sacking the Lions' Matt Stafford ten times. A Lions offensive line. It's kind of hard for your quarterback to throw the ball down the field if he's constantly on his back staring up at the sky. You guys might want to fix that. Uh, the uh, Broncos had a brutal way to lose the game. They lost a 51-yard field goal with three seconds left at home. So they wind up losing. Wide receiver Michael Thomas of the Saints <clears throat> pays homage to former Saints wide receiver Joe Horn by pulling a flip phone out of the padding of the goal post after a touchdown to give the old school celebration. He got flagged for it. You can't use a prop, but still... Cool move on uh tipping your hat to the senior there. Oh, uh, what else happened last year or last week? I'm sorry. Uh the Rams finally went down, so there will be no undefeated team in the NFL this week this year. So that means the 72 Dolphins were popping champagne last year. The Rams got their first loss, still have the best record in football, still probably the best team in football right now. But they did go down. So yeah, the 72 Finns are celebrating. Uh, the Patriots won again, and I just wanted to throw a note in there that I hate watching the Patriots win. Ate it. And uh, the Cowboys, oh, humiliated at home. Humiliated. Brutal. But regardless, we like to keep the NFL short because the missus listens to this and she's not a big football fan. So this week's winners will be the Bears, Saints, Falcons, Colts, Chiefs, Jets, Redskins, Patriots, Chargers, Packers, Rams, Eagles, and 49ers. By the way, I forgot to put a post on Facebook yesterday as to, like I do every Wednesday night, or Thursday night, uh, an hour before the game, uh, telling you who my pick is for the Thursday night game. And uh, I'm glad I didn't because I picked the Panthers, who got shellacked last night. Pittsburgh hangs a Fitty Burger on them. And Ben Roethlisberger throws for, Roethl- Roethlisberger, Big Ben. I I can never say his name properly. Dude goes off for five tutties. So, yeah. Brutal start to this week. Uh, As I do every week, a couple of quick reminders. Uh, This podcast is not recorded in a studio. It's not mixed and edited. It is recorded on my phone wherever I may happen to be at the moment that I record it. Uh, It is, as I said, unfiltered. So you're going to hear background noises. You're going to... Uh, Today I'm just sitting in the living room recording it this morning as I'm watching the snow fall out the window So you might hear a dog bark or you might hear a car roll down the street It's meant to be that way. It's meant to be like two guys sitting on two people sitting on the deck chatting so uh, You're you're supposed to hear the background noise. This is not supposed to be some puffed and polished radio show Uh, Second reminder as always. uh, I have music in certain spots Throughout this podcast Which you cannot hear If you're not listening on an Anchor platform So if you're on your computer Go to anchor.fm and look for the Tom Powell Jr. Show Or just download the free Anchor app You can get my podcast As well as hundreds of other podcasts Favorite the podcast when you're there So you get notifications when a new one airs Um, And my last weekly reminder As always is go buy my book My first book a Grateful Life, The Life Story of a Husband, Father, and Taco-Loving Deadhead is available now. Uh, you can go to my website, TomPowellJr.com. If you're in the Shanahan or Manuka area, you can go to the Shanahan branch of the Three Rivers Public Library and check it out, as I am there now. Kind of happy about that. So if you could, go buy the book. Okay, so with all of that aside, what the hell's happening this week? Um... A handful of things. Uh, First things first, right off the bat, Sunday is Veterans Day. So um, an early salute to all of the veterans out there. Uh, My grandfather was a veteran. I had uncles, cousins that were all veterans. Uh, I never had the opportunity to serve, but my hat goes off to each and every one of you veterans. Um, I'm glad you have a day, but in reality, all veterans... Should have a day every day for what you guys do for us. So from us here in this house, happy Veterans Day a little bit early to you guys. Um, I also wanted to say real quick, congratulations to Meg Ryan and John Mellencamp. Two of my favorite celebrities have announced that they're getting engaged. Meg Ryan and John Mellencamp. Hey, uh, Johnny, make this one work, all right? Meg's cool. And Meg, uh, take care of Johnny. He's an Indiana boy, all right? Johnny Mellencamp, Meg Ryan. Seems like a weird combo, but hey, do it. Absolutely. Um, As I mentioned just a little bit ago, I'm staring out the window at snowfall. Yes. We got our first snow overnight. Woke up to a dusting of snow on the grassy surfaces and in the planting beds. You know, obviously nothing is sticking to the streets or the sidewalks just yet. We here in the southwest suburbs, as Anybody who listens around the country knows every week. Uh, I, I mentioned at some point in time, or it's in the uh, in the logo for the show. I, I this is recorded here in Shanahan, Illinois, which is in the far southwest suburbs of Chicago. I know that there are people listening in Hawaii and in Ohio and Michigan and Florida and California and Oregon, and as far as the Netherlands, hello Mia. Um, we 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 got our first snow here in Shanahan. A little dusting. Further north in the suburbs here. They got maybe an inch and a half. So they got a little bit more. But it's still snowing here. And it's just, I love it. I'm in heaven right now. I'm in absolute heaven. I got all the leaves pick, cleaned up. I got my perennials cut down. I've been waiting for this. I've got the, the, the living room furniture rearranged to, uh, you know, be ready to accept Christmas decorations. Uh, and now, you, the. the Snow falls overnight. My son gets up this morning. Boom. Can we put the Christmas tree up? It's my boy. It's my boy. Yes. I love it. No, we can't put it up just quite yet. It's a little too early. But it's coming. The snow has arrived. Now, they got a lot of snow across the lake over in Michigan, which means at any moment now, we should cue the Facebook bitching from uh, my cousin's friend, Amy, over there, uh, who absolutely dread seeing the snow every year, because obviously it shuts you down as a landscaper for four months, so uh, I look forward to the uh, the roasting I'm going to get for uh, for the, for celebrating the snow here in the Chicagoland area, but you know what, bring it on, I don't care because the snow's here, and I like it, and I hope we get more, yeah, that's right, I sang it, I don't care, I love the snow, I love the snow, I love the cold, deal with it. Roger down in Indiana, who bitches at me every time it snows, deal with it. Amy in Michigan, who bitches at me every time it snows, deal with it. My wife's cousin Karen, who bitches at me every time it snows, deal with it. It's here. You had your summer, you had your pools, and your hot-ass weather, and sweat rolling down the back of your neck. You had that. It was your turn, now it's our turn. Snow is here. Chicago, you're going to get snow. Sorry, I'm in a very happy mood. Very happy mood. Uh, Speaking about cold and snow and Chicago, this past week uh, uh, the Blackhawks fired their head coach, Coach Quinville. Coach Q, the stash, was fired. Now, full disclosure, not the hugest hockey fan. I don't know a whole lot about hockey. Uh, Of the the big four sports, in order for me, they go football, basketball, baseball, and then hockey. Just not a huge fan. But I do support our local team. And I'm just, I'm actually a little dumbfounded by this move. The guy was your head coach for 10 seasons. He took you to the playoffs for nine of those 10. Right? So only one year he didn't make the playoffs. And in the nine years that he made the playoffs, he brought you three Stanley Cup championships. Three titles in nine years. Actually, three, I think it was three and six if i 'm not mistaken i'm sure that Kevin and Kevin will correct me on that, so, as I said i'm not the hugest fan i don 't know the circumstances behind his firing, but if he take if somebody takes you to the playoffs for nine years and gets you three championships, doesn't he deserve to at least finish the season? I mean, you threw your team into turmoil you ha- you, you didn't go out and get the next ace coach. you have an interim coach, so you're you're basically giving up on the season. I think what he's done is earned him the right to at least finish the season with some dignity and then move on from him at the end of the season. I mean, granted, he's, at the time of the firing, there were 6-6-2 six, six, and two, and he had lost five straight. But nonetheless, it's a long season. The guy brought you three Stanley Cups. I, I just don't understand the move. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that are going to explain it to me, and I'm sure there may very well be a perfectly good explanation. Not following hockey like I do, I haven't dug too much into it. I just dug into his record and looked at it and went, you know, from a, from a guy who likes football, it, I'm a, as anybody knows, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. If the Colts had a head coach that in 10 years took him to the playoffs nine times, And got them three Super Bowl championships. You're damn right. He better at least finish the year. He's earned that. But. The Hawks didn't see it that way. So they let him go. Coach Q was on his way. Coach, I was never a huge fan of hockey. But I know a lot of people that are. And I know a lot of people that you made very happy. By bringing three championships. To the city of Chicago. So. On behalf of all the Chicago Blackhawks fans, thank you very much for what you've done. I hope you land on your feet somewhere. I personally don't think it's right the way they did you, but it is what it is. Thank you. Three championships. I mean, there's, there are cities out there that have none. This guy brought three in a decade. So, you know, it's just the Chicago way, you know? Speaking of Chicago, um, how the hell am I 46 years old And just this week, learning that the United States Pizza Museum is in the city of Chicago. (coughs) Huh? I I never knew. I never knew. Those of you who listen to the show and follow me on social media know that uh, tacos are my favorite. But my wife can attest to you that pizza is my go-to. Mainly because taco stands just don't deliver, or they haven't traditionally. You got to get in the car, you got to go get tacos, and a lot of time that's just a, it's just a pain in the ass, you know. You're at the house, you got a buzz on, you got the munchies, you order up some premium munchie food, and that would be the pizza. Never knew that there was a pizza museum, and let alone knowing that it was in the city. I, I could have been going to this thing for years. Now I want to go. I want to see what's at the pizza museum, because uh, pizza, I love it. It is the ultimate munchy food. Like I said, you're sitting in the apartment, the house, the condo, wherever. You rounded the edges. You maybe tucked into a bowl at a sticky icky. You don't want to go out and drive to get tacos. You order pizza. It's just the way like things go. I know, sticky icky. Okay. Everybody needs to know right up front. We don't talk politics on this show. I don't talk left-right. I don't talk Democrat-Republican. I don't talk Trump-anti-Trump. I don't do any of that crap on this show. This is your escape from politics. The only political topic I will touch on this show, have touched on this show, and will touch in future episodes, is the subject of marijuana, because I am a supporter of marijuana. And I wanted to say... Congratulations to the people of Michigan for passing recreational marijuana. My hats go off to you. Enjoy that shit. More states are making it happen. I hope the hell it happens here in Illinois. And if there is anybody from the Illinois state legislature that is listening to this podcast by any chance, get your heads out of your asses. Take a look around at what's going around the country. And pass it. Now. Michigan's about to see a big influx of visitors to their state. Because people want their marijuana. Just like they wanted their alcohol during Prohibition. Just let them smoke their marijuana and do their damn thing. We are a 420 friendly show here. As a matter of fact, uh, while this show has not been running since I was 13 years old. This show has been... A 420 friendly show since I was 13 years old. If you catch my drift. But congratulations, Michigan. Maybe more states should legalize weeds because the stoners are here, man. They are. You got to get you. more and more people are smoking marijuana. We even have alien spacecraft that looks like marijuana. Did you see that spacecraft that scientists are tracking? I don't. I, I'm not even going to pronounce this name correctly. It's spelled O U M U. A-M-U-A. A stoner had to have named that. Anyway, it's this... What they think is a spacecraft that looks like a long, reddish-brown blunt. They've been tracking this thing since it first passed the sun back in 17. And, uh, it, it doesn't, you know, move like a comet, it doesn't move like a meteor, it moves like a spacecraft. And, uh... I'm telling you, the space aliens are here. They're bringing space weed with them. And uh, we need to follow their lead. Scientists say that this thing, the way it looks, the way it moves, its markings, it, it can only come from another solar system. So, hey. Let me be the first to say, welcome space aliens with your space tank. Come on down. We'll have a chat. We'll sit on the deck. I'll put you on the podcast. We'll see what you guys got to say. But bring some of that space tank with you. All right? I mean, you guys are flying around in outer space in a a, a ship that looks like a blunt anyway. I mean, might as well. Lord knows you're going to be welcome in in a few of our states. You can go to Michigan. You can go to Colorado, Washington, Hawaii, Alaska. Let me ask you a question real quick. How the hell did Alaska get it before Illinois? I mean, honestly. Regardless, come on down, space aliens. We'll match you one, okay? You bring your space tank. We'll bring you some of the sticky icky from here on on Mother Earth. We'll round some edges. We'll talk about international inter interstellar relations, I guess, and we'll order up some munchies we'll get you some pizza, right? We got the we got the museum right here. Actually, when we, if you come here to Shanahan, we're going to get you some tacos because uh the taco joint in town here is de- teamed up with DoorDash and now you can get tacos delivered to your front door. Dangerous. Yeah. Uh yeah, uh hello Taco Joint. Yeah, this is uh this is Tom Powell over in Shanahan. Yeah, uh I'm going to need you to send over about 368 chorizo tacos, 412 burritos, and some extra hot sauce. Yeah, I got, I got the whole alien spacecraft in my backyard. Uh, we got the mayor coming over. So if you could get that here quickly, I'd right, right, appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> listen, speaking of tacos, real quick, and munchy foods, and people that are a little bit different. A lot of rubbing, rub- 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 rounding the edges. I-, I read a story this week that is to say, it's bizarre is uh, is an insult to bizarre things everywhere. I, I can't even believe this story. I- I- every time I read it, every time I look down at my piece of paper and I read it, I'm like, how? Okay. So there's a Reddit user. I don't know if you guys use the uh, mobile app Reddit. There's a Reddit user called an Incredibly Shiny Shirt. Whatever. People use weird names on Reddit. Anyway, this guy detailed a story in which uh, he had a motorcycle accident. He had a motorcycle accident. A car hit his motorcycle, sent him flying off the motorcycle and into some woods, and snapped his foot to the point where it wasn't able to be saved and when he was at the hospital being treated for his injuries from the accident they informed him he had to amputate it so they cut the dude's foot off and uh he asked if he could keep it now i know some of you were like why would you want to keep the foot believe me when i tell you this story gets a whole lot weirder than he just wanted to keep his amputated foot Shortly after leaving the hospital and completing his recovery, uh, he invited 10 of his friends over for what he called it called an open-minded brunch. He served you know, puff pastries and chocolate cake and fruit tarts and lemonade and mimosas, a grand old buffet. And some of you already know where this is going. The main course of the buffet was fajitas made out of the meat of his amputated foot. Yeah, take as much time with that as you need. That's a real story. So this guy posted the story, and obviously people looked into it. Turns out it's real. And uh, people started asking the question, well, isn't there a law against cannibalism? Shockingly, there is no federal law against cannibalism, and only one state has laws against cannibalism, and that would be Idaho. Other than that, it is legal to eat human flesh in 49 states and at the federal level, which I, you know, was my major something. You know, you got to learn something new every day. That day, that was my major something new. So regardless, no laws against cannibalism, but let's go back to the story. His friends knew what they were eating. He told them what he was doing. And ten of his friends showed up and ate foot tacos. Okay. Just so that we're all crystal clear on where I stand on this subject. I have been extraordinarily high more times than I can count during the course of my life. I mean, extraordinarily high. Not necessarily just on marijuana. I'm talking about all times I've ever gotten jacked up in my life. I woke up in the bathtub of one of my friends during a party in southern Indiana. Twice during the same party... Now, in my defense, the party lasted for about two and a half days. Straight. So, the bathtub was mine. I just claimed it. I was just sleeping in there. People would come and go to the bathroom. Whatever. So, I've been drunk enough to pass out in the bathtub. I've been high enough to do some really extraordinary things. But I have never been high enough to eat foot tacos knowingly. Not a chance at hell. That is going to be the hardest of hard passes for me. Foot taco. Oh! Oh! Stop it! Foot tacos. And they all just, yeah, I'll take a foot taco and a puff pastry. Oh, those mimosas look good. Wait a minute. Hang on. Back up. Did you say foot taco? Yeah, foot taco. Take a foot taco. No. No, no, no. To quote Tracy Morgan? No, no. Hell no. To quote the preacher man? Hell to the no. To the no, no, no. Hell to the no. Uh Uh-uh. Foot tacos is a hard pass. I don't... Listen, my wife gets grossed out because I like tongue tacos. Lingua. If you guys are... If you guys ever have a chance to eat real Mexican lingua tacos, oh, so good. So good. And that will drive, like, I have never had him in the house. I'm never going to get my wife to make tongue tacos. Never. That, that's drawing a line right there. Can you possibly imagine if I go, hey, honey, you mind fixing us up some tacos? Here's this foot. No, that's like instant divorce time right there. Pack the shit, leave, disinfect the house by burning it to the ground. I can't believe you just did that. Foot tacos. God damn, there are some weird people in the world. Some weird ass people. Uh, This guy is weird. I don't know if you saw this guy. His name is uh, Emil Rattleband r a t e l b a n d emil rattleband he's sixty nine years old he's a positivity trainer right there right off the bat those positive positivity trainers all bullshit all of them but we'll we'll get into that the my thoughts on the on the whole i don't even know half their names You know, that big tall guy that was in that movie Shallow Hell and that guy Gary Vee that's the hot ticket right now. And Dr. Phil's of the world. We'll do a a segment on another show about uh, the bullshit that is positivity thinkers. But for the purposes of this story, this guy, he's a positivity trainer. He's 69 years old. He lives in the Netherlands. Another Netherlands reference. Hello, Mia. Mia is somebody that follows me on Facebook. She, uh, she's very active, and uh, she's a very fun gal. If you guys are on Facebook and you see Mia comment on one of my posts, say hi to Mia. Anyway, Emil Rattleband, 69 years old, positivity trainer from the Netherlands, and he wants to legally change his age. He says he feels 20 to 30 years younger than he actually is. But because his age is listed as 69 on his Tinder profile, he has a hard time looking attractive to other women. So he wants to legally change his age by cutting 20 years off of it. He wants to legally call himself 49 instead of 69 to help him get dates on Tinder. Uh, That's not how any of this works. You, don't, you can feel 49, you can go and do things a 49 year old does, but you're 69 years old. And uh, how about you get the hell off of Tinder, you know, go down to the bar, go down to the park, go down to the grocery store, meet yourself a woman. But no, you don't get to just legally uh, change your age. Not how any of this works. It's not at, at all. Um, I wanted to briefly, I, I just I got to briefly talk on a topic real quick before I get into the last two main issues of the week. Uh, and, and this this topic here is uh, The Walking Dead. Pause this. Fast forward it if you don't want to hear any spoilers about last week's episode, not this week's episode. Only talking about last week's episode. <laughs> So if you're caught up with the show, it's just a recap of last week. Because last week was kind of an important episode. Uh, we had some really trippy trips. Rick Grimes is having himself one hell of a spirit journey. Having the hallucinations. Uh, we, we had Shane coming back in the hallucinations. Shane coming back with one of those badass speeches that makes you want to run through a wall. Love seeing that. Uh, the, the, the the scenes in the, the hallucinations with Herschel. You know, it gets you right in the fields. But at the end of the day, Rick lived. You know, this was Rick's last episode. It was his last episode on the show, The Walking Dead, at least for now. Um, and he flew away in a helicopter. Apparently, they're doing some other stuff with him. We don't know what that's going to be yet. We're going to see in the future. But he's not dead, he's just gone. Okay? And at the end of the show, they showed a fast forward to this week's episode, in which we have a six-year time jump, and we see that Judith Grimes has turned into the little ass-kicker that that Daryl always called her. Uh, She's out there rocking Mom's shirt, Carl's hat, Dad's gun, a little katana for herself. Basically, she's a mixture of many different characters, and I got a feeling that Judith Grimes is going to be the badass of badasses as this show progresses. So uh, I just wanted to briefly talk about that Walking Dead. It was, it was an important show. I loved it. And now I can't wait to see what the rest of the season is going to bring with Judith Grimes. Can't wait to see. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about this real quick uh, here at the end. I was out cleaning and leaves this week. And one of the guys, Kevin, who worked for me, swung, swung by and stopped and chatted. Now we, we chatted about a lot of things. One of the things we chatted about um, that I I kind of found kind of interesting and and wanted to jot it down was uh, he he had asked what my son was for Halloween and I told him that he was a character from Halo. And he asked, so "How does how does he even know what Halo is at his age?" And and I didn't think anybody played Halo anymore. I said, "Well, he knows what Halo is." Because he watches YouTube videos about Halo. Every kid his age, excuse me, is into watching YouTube videos. And that's what he does. And it made us realize what the progression, or what I'm calling the regression, of children's playtime has become. I'm 46. When I was a kid, when I was seven, we went outside and we played. That's what you did. You might have had some Tonka trucks outside, some army guys, or maybe you just got on your bike and rode around with your friends. You went to the woods. But you played outside. Kevin's generation, Kevin is 25, mid-20s. His generation was a combination of playing outside and video games. When he was at his youngest... The video games weren't hot yet, so they were still playing outside. And then as they progressed, they played video games. You know, like the other guy that worked for me, Kevin. Yes, there were two Kevins that worked for me. You know, his big thing is playing video games. Gaming. On a computer. Fast forward to my son's generation. And what they do is they watch videos of other kids playing games. That's why I'm calling it a regression. We played. We went out and played. Kevin's generation went out and played and then started getting hooked on video games and then stayed in and played video games. And now this generation is like, I didn't want to play the video game. I just want to watch other kids play the video game. That is, almost made me want to just unplug every TV in the house. That's how you kids get your kicks? Guy at the end of the street, uh, his son goes to school my son. His son does the same thing. They, you know, they uh, they watch these videos, and the popular videos these days is of other kids doing cool stuff instead of going out and doing that cool stuff yourself. You watch videos of other kids doing it, so it has, excuse me, it has regressed over the generations uh, to the point where that's what the hip thing is to do now. So uh, I got a lot of work to do with the boy. Uh, getting him to, to actually get outside and play. But that's not the main thing that came to mind when, when Kevin stopped. I mean, we talked about that whole regression of the kids playing thing. But one of the main things that came to my mind when he stopped and talked was... Uh, <clears throat> you know, th- This guy worked for me for six years. And he worked for me in... Arguably, the most grueling conditions, right? If you're a landscaper, you're sweating your ass off when it's 100 degrees out there. You're fighting the wind on the windy days. You're, You're freezing your giblets off when you're out doing leaf cleanup at the end of the year and it's 29 degrees out. You go prolonged stretches where you can't get any work in because it's raining nonstop. It's just by definition, you have to work in in adverse conditions. So this guy, for six years, sweat his ass off, busted his ass, wheelbarrowing rock and digging holes. Not exactly a, a pleasurable job. And now, he stops by and chance. You know, we we still talk on social media. We text each other once in a while. And he swings by and he chats and we you know standing out in front of the house chatting. And it made me realize that I was a success as a boss. I was a, I was a success as a business owner. Now, we obviously, we made our money. So I'm not talking about the dollars and cents aspect of it. I'm talking about the interpersonal human relationships aspect of being a boss. If you can work for somebody... It, or if somebody puts you to work in the shittiest conditions possible and makes you sweat your ass off and drives you in the heat and 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 works you to the bone and you still want to swing by and chat with him then that means that even though the conditions were shit the job the, the experience the way he managed you was positive you you don't swing by your old boss's house if that boss was an asshole it got me thinking about the places that I used to work now I've worked for a lot of different landscapers over my lifetime and uh, one of the things I learned on uh, very early on is uh, the industry unfortunately is chock full of assholes uh, a lot of guys out there that just like to cut corners and give their employees bare minimum everything And the worst possible supplies and your trucks that are falling apart and always tell them how lucky they are to even have a job. Just assholes, right? And throughout my career, as I moved from one job to the other, I took with me the positive stuff from the last job and remembered the negative stuff to be weary of heading into the next thing. And it was just schmuck after schmuck after schmuck that I worked for. And then I got to work for a company called uh, the Fisher-Burton Company out of Wakanda, Illinois, in the far northwest suburbs. And uh, it made this experience with me talking to my former employee here made me think about that period of time. Because of all the people that I worked for, uh that was my most pleasurable experience. They did it the right way, so I was there for nine and a half years. Uh, Tom and Richard are the owners his partners, and uh, got me thinking, well, yeah, you know, I look back at my time Tom and Fisher or Tom and Richard as pleasurable i, I had I was given good equipment I was given the best possible. Material to make my jobs happen. I was given the freedom to run my jobs. I was given the support and the backing of the uh, of of the ownership and the office. They were extraordinarily family oriented, which I tried to be at every turn with my guys. You know, they understood that it's it, it's it's a business and we're here to make money. But you are you, unhappy employees that are struggling with stuff at home aren't going to make you any money. And this is kind of that, if you looked at the, if you found this post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and you were looking at the the, the, the bullet points of what I discussed this week, you, you saw one that says, own what you do. This is what I'm talking about here, owning what you do. When I worked for other people, at all those other companies, and and especially the Fisher-Burton company, when I was an employee, I... I worked as if I owned a part of the company. It was, it was the way my father taught me when I was a kid that you own what you do. Even if you don't own the company, you, you act like you do. Now, why do you do that? Well, you do that because, you know, when I was at the Fisher-Burton company, that was how I put a roof over my head. That was how I put food in my refrigerator, kept the lights on, and put a roof over my family's head. So it would only stand to reason that the better they do, the more it may not necessarily equate into more money in my pocket, but what it equates to is my ability to earn becomes stable, steady, and is stress free. I'm not constantly worrying about whether or not I'm gonna lose my job if the company's gonna go under. So I took ownership in it. Obviously, I didn't think that I owned a part of the company. I didn't. I didn't own a company until I started my own. But I worked as if I did. I took ownership in it. And as a result, the things that I ran from, you know, I can't speak to every superintendent that worked for the company, but from my aspect of it, I tried to approach every last bit of it as if Tom and Richard were there managing it themselves so that the company ran as best as it possibly could and made as much money as it possibly could so that my earning was as stable as humanly possible so that I didn't have to worry about where my next paycheck was coming from for my family's sake. Then I became an owner myself. And what I tried to do as an owner was look back at it through the other lens, and say, I, okay, it's all on me, it's, it's my company, I get to make the, the, the shots, make the decisions, but I also have to remember that while it's while I go out and I procure the work, I secure the contracts, the guys that are working for me are the ones that are busting their asses to actually execute it. So without them, I still don't earn. So I try to treat them as how I wanted to be treated when I was an employee. And the fact that we still talk, we still text one another, we went to a comedy show months after our the last time we worked together and and he stops by to say hi. That all pointed to I was a success in doing what I tried what I was trying to do, which was not only be your boss, not only be your leader, but also be somebody that you were like, I enjoyed working for that guy. And that made me, I'm going to be honest with you, made me feel kind of good. That, that you know, maybe you guys didn't earn a million dollars working for me and it wasn't a job that you were going to have for the rest of your life. But in the brief period of time that you worked with me, you had fun, you earned a decent buck. You did an honest day's work, and nobody cheated anybody. Nobody was, there was, there was no bullshit. There was no dr- We We just went out and did our work, and we had a good time doing it. And that's what I try to do in everything. I try to own what I do. I try to instill that in my kids. Hopefully, that's working with my kids. Uh, it seems to be working with my oldest. My middle child is showing signs of it. My youngest is still, well, he'll be seven years old in December, but uh, we'll, we'll see how he turns out. But my, my PSA of the week to you would be to own what you do in all things that you do. If you're doing it, own it. Don't half-ass it. Uh, listen. Listen. When we're talking about work, so we're talking about work now, obviously. If you're at work and you half assed something, the only thing you did was make more work for yourself down the road, make more work for a coworker, cause everything to slow down. You see where I'm getting at with this? That hurts the company. And then there's a lot of people out there that are going to be like, what I give a damn about hurting a company. Man, it's where you work. Why well, I want to bust my ass to put more money in that guy's pocket? I get it. I, I, Believe me, I get it. I've seen a lot of bosses in my time continue to take raises while my pay stayed stagnant. But you know what I did? I made sure that my end of the company was held up right. I'm not talking about Fisher Burton specifically in that instance. I'm talking about some of the other guys in the past. We had some. I worked for some doozies. Worked for some, some du- I worked for a guy one time for four hours. Didn't make it to lunchtime. Guy hired me as a superintendent, brought me in. The morning I arrived to the job, there were two groups of men standing there. One group o- off to the side that looked like they were ready to go to work and one, one group off to the other side that looked like they were confused as hell. The group that looked like it was ready to go to work was, the, was his ex- group of existing crew members. The other group was a, a group of temporary workers that he had brought in neither one of these groups knew what the hell was going on he brings me in the same morning and says to all of his existing employees i brought in a new superintendent who's going to run this company better than any of you guys could ever run it i don't need any of you you're all fired and he turned around and gave me all brand new guys that day i was blown away like holy crap what are you doing dude you just got rid of every experienced worker that you have for a bunch of day laborers then he put loaded us all up into two trucks and sent us off to a project Halfway there, one of the trucks breaks down. We get, grab as many of the guys as we can, put them in our truck, keep heading down the road. Now, I'm in a, I'm in a third truck. I'm in a, a supervisor's truck. Boom. The second work truck breaks down a little bit further down. And so i got two broke-down trucks, a bunch of temporary workers. I make multiple trips to get all the guys to the job site in my pickup truck, get them working with some tools, and I was like, this is, this is just never going to work. This guy is running his, this company a shit show. And I literally just left the guys at the job, drove back to the shop, drove right into the parking lot, parked his work truck, got into my car, and left. Sometimes you got to know when to pull the trigger. There's nothing there that I could have owned and made better. There just isn't. Guys like that don't want it. But if you're at your job, try to own it. Own everything you do at your job. And if you own it all as if you are the owner, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be in management. You're going to be an owner. Because they're going to see that you're taking ownership in it. You're more valuable to them than the rest of the employees. And what you're doing is you're st- st- stabilizing your earning capacity. You're, you're making sure that your earnings continue to flow to take care of your family. And I had that in these guys. This guy Kevin had stopped by. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Annie. Uh, Kevin owned it. The other Kevin owned it. That's why they worked for me for so long. You know, they, they, they did the right thing most of the time. Obviously not every time, just like I didn't do the right thing every time when I worked for somebody else, but most of the time they did the right thing. They took the best interest of the company at heart. They understood that it was my livelihood as well as theirs. I understood that my livelihood not only depended on my ability to go out and get jobs, but their ability to execute the jobs. It was, it was a symbiotic relationship and it worked. I do want to say to all of those guys, by the way, that are out there, uh, I'm very happy to see that everybody is doing well. Now post Powell landscaping career. Both of the cabins are doing fair to midland well, enjoying life, good jobs. Uh Jay, even Jake, the closer. And yeah, we had nicknames for everybody. Uh Jake's doing well. He's uh working as a project manager for a company that builds big warehouses. And yeah, I so said we had nicknames. Uh Jake was the closer. Kevin R. was Big Red, and uh, uh, OG Kevin was uh, OG. So, we had nicknames for everybody on the crew. We also had nicknames for customers, but we won't go into that. Uh, it, but it just it made me realize that no matter what, whether we made money, we lost money, we made money. But whether we made money, we lost money... Uh, it didn't matter, because what I tried to do, the boss that I tried to be, I succeeded in. I still have a good relationship with employees that I had before. I want all of you to ask yourself, how many of you still have a good relationship with a former boss? I feel like I could call Tom and Richard today, and I probably could, and and, Tom and Richard, if you're listening to this, uh, go on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and, and leave a comment. But I feel like I could call Tom and Richard today, ask them for advice, and they would be there to give it. I feel like I could call Tom and Richard today and say, hey, I'm in the neighborhood, I want to stop by for lunch. They'd be like, hell yeah. Get your butt in here, man. Let's have some lunch. Now, <clears throat> listen. Listen. In no means am I talking kumbaya moment here i, I didn 't get along with everybody there I, I nobody gets along with everybody at any job. There were other superintendents that i didn 't get along with. There were a lot more people that I did get along with. I got along tremendous with the office staff we had a at the time we had uh, kathy and julie i mean we that the office was a well oiled machine those were, Those were the salad days right. The office was a well-oiled machine. We had we had a killer maintenance department with a couple of superintendents that were absolutely great at what they do. We had uh the construction department was a little bit more uh combative with me, <laughs> let's just say. Couple of a couple of the superintendents. We had this one superintendent that was a little bit older, kind of a hippie, kind of a classic rock kind of a guy that was uh, you know always making everybody kind of laugh but scratching their heads at the same time. I got along great with our sales and estimating department for the most part. They, you know, they, it all kind of worked. You know, the relationships that the ownership had went, secured, the, relationship, secured the, the work. The estimating department estimated it properly for us to be able to execute. We went out there and executed it, got our paperwork into the office. Everybody got paid. Everybody went home happy. It, it, it just worked. But the thing that really made it work, going back to the main topic of what I'm talking about here with me and the guys, what made it work was it started at the top. Ownership sets the tone. Upper management, so it's either ownership or it's the uppermost management that you deal with. Maybe you work for a company where you don't see the owner every day or every week or even every month, but you have a, a, a senior manager above you right? In my case, it was the man, it was the ownership itself. I dealt directly with the ownership and they were the tone setters. Um, one of the tones that they set early on with me and one of the biggest lessons that I took out of that company by far was patience. I came into that company like a bull in a china shop. I had been a superintendent for a couple of different companies, and I had felt that my ideas were being stymied. And you know, you come in and you're like, "Yeah, I'm here. I got experience. I'm ready to change the world. Look, I, I got, I got, I got great ideas." And what I learned rapidly, what they taught me, but in a calm way. I had others try to teach me this, but in a, in a way that it didn't resonate like it did when when these two guys taught me was, uh, was, was this lesson. Hey, pal, you might have some great ideas. But obviously, we've got some really great ideas. Otherwise, we wouldn't have grown to the point of needing to hire your ass. So how about you come in and learn our ways, and then we'll talk about what kind of ideas you have, if they even apply to the way we run our business. And it was the the single biggest lesson that I learned while working for those guys. Holy shit, you guys are killing it here. Obviously, you don't need my advice. Now, they were always open to any suggestion, any time, if they thought for a moment that it was going to make the company better. But obviously, they were already doing it right. And it, and it taught me to just kind of, whew, calm down, you don't need to be a bull in a china, china shop. Slow and steady wins the race. Let's get out there, execute our game plan, execute our our, our contracts, the way they were designed, let's do it properly so that those customers want to continue to give us work and we just keep moving on with our, with, with our, with our lives. Patience was one of the biggest things they taught me there. And specifically, now see, when I say there was, there was two guys, there was Tom and Richard. Tom was the money guy, Richard was like the field personnel guy and equipment guy, right? So we dealt with Richard directly, we dealt with Tom once a week when we were kind of turning in our billing. Richard, they they both taught me patience, but working directly with Richard is where I learned my patience. Richard had a way of telling you, no, that's a stupid fucking idea, and we're not going to do that. But never saying it to you that way. He had a way of saying no, but in the process... Making you come around to his way of thinking, by by just kind of like reeling you in with his conversation, and then by the by the time you left there, you left going, "Yes, damn good idea. I think we'll do it that way." Yeah, you know the way he wanted you to do it originally. Just the master at that. As a matter of fact, I only saw the guy snap maybe twice in ten years, and it wasn't even really snapping. It was just kind of like. I'm frustrated as shit here and I'm going to raise my voice a little bit and then we're going to call this thing a day. Just patient, even keel, calm. <clears throat> you know, I used to I used to be on projects where, you know, they were multi-million dollar, multi-year contracts. And the the customer would ask me to do an extra and I would do an extra, and I would write up the, we had, you know, we had a list of costs for services and, and products, and you, you'd write up an extra ticket. And I came out to $1,100, and you give it to the guy, and the guy goes, ah, that's, come on, man, that's insane. You can't do this for like $400. And then I would argue with the guy. You ask for the extra, it's $1,100. What Tom taught me was, hey, we get it. You're out there watching our back. You did an $1,100 extra. We deserve to be paid for an $1,100 extra. But what you're doing is you're arguing $1,100 worth of extra work with a guy who gave us $4 million worth of contracts. Now, we want to stand our ground, and we want to make sure that we're not walked all over, but we also don't want to piss off a $4 million customer for an $1,100 extra. Huge lesson to be learned there. Huge lesson. And from that moment on, it taught me on those large job sites how to barter and compromise. Sometimes you wrote the ticket for the extra, especially if the guy you're dealing with was a particular asshole. Sometimes somebody asks you to do an extra and you're like, hey, listen, I can do that extra for you, but you got to take your X, Y, and Z for me. We've been having problems with blah, blah, blah on the site. And you kind of barter and you get back and forth. Once again, calm. And macro thinking. Not everything gets to be, needs to be boiled down into argument. And so they, they taught me all these lessons. You know, Richard taught me, give somebody the best possible materials and the job is going to be smoother. We had the best plant material and the best mulch. And, you, you know, we were, never, we were never standing in front of a customer trying to explain why that tree is so ugly. You know, we, got, we, we just, we did everything right there. And you take those lessons and you go out and you start your own company and you try to employ those principles and ideals and you try to remain calm with the guys that work for you while still driving them to get the work done. And you try and remain even keeled about doing extras for customers or doing favors for customers. We had plenty of in the time that I owned my business, people coming to me, ah, oh, man, could you help, help a brother out? And we would. And then a year later, I get, I get this guy stopping by just having a friendly chat in the front yard. And he leaves. I get back on my, my mower to finish collecting my leaves. And, and I got to thinking as I was collecting the leaves. I'm like, I must not have been that bad of a boss. And so that's, that's my big message to you this week. My big PSA to you this week is own what you do. And, and everything will work out for the, for the best in the end. You know, you take those lessons. If you're going to be a, an upper management or an owner of a company, be a Tom and a Richard, okay? Be a Tom and a Richard. Have guys working for you for a decade plus because they like working for you. Your company is successful. Own what you do if you're an employee for a company so that your company is successful. And if you're an owner, own what you do in making sure that you live up to being the kind of boss that you wanted when you were a worker. I know it's not exactly a fun, light, and airy topic to end the show on, but it's what I'm ending the show on. Because it meant something to me. That that shit, that he, you know him stopping by, meant something to me. As small and as minute as that is. And I hope somebody passes this along to Tom and Richard. I think I might email them a link. And I hope that they hear this and they understand that's what you did for me. You took in a guy that was passionate about landscaping and knowledgeable about landscaping. I'm not here to toot my own horn, but I knew my shit when I came to work for you guys. But I was a bull in a china shop. I know a better way of doing it. I can reinvent the wheel. And they just brought me down to a, to a respectable level. And they taught me patience. And they taught me how to be a proper boss. And they taught me how to be the best boss. And for that, I am eternally grateful to you guys. And I am passing that information on to you. And hopefully those guys that work for me, they go on to their jobs when they reach their management positions. Or they start their own companies. And they take those lessons that I taught them on the job site. And hopefully you guys just keep moving that forward. Kind of like a football coach has a coaching tree. Consider this the Tom and Richard ownership tree. All right? I'm the the TP branch of the Tom and Richard ownership tree. Okay? That's all I got for this week. As always, stay grateful and enjoy a little bit of the Friday song, folks.